Hello and welcome to Council 4 Unplugged. This is the debut podcast for Council 4 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. We are proud to represent 35,000 hardworking people throughout Connecticut. My name is Larry Dorman, and here with me today are my colleagues and friends, Zach Levy of Council 4 and Brian Anderson of Council 4. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Larry. Uh, we are excited to launch this podcast for Council 4. We're going to be uh, talking hardcore union and working class uh, uh, issues, and we're going to talk a lot about what's happening at the state level, what's happening national level in terms of how events are impacting uh, the ability of, of union members and, and all workers to uh, achieve and maintain a, a decent standard of living. So we're really excited about this. We think uh, uh, we've got to amplify our voice about the issues we're fighting for, and that's what Council for Unplugged is all about. And we're going to have a lot of fun, too, and we're going to have interesting guests as we embark on this journey. So thanks for joining us. Let's get right to it. Um, it's interesting timing for today because uh, even though it is November 15th, um, Brian and Zach were just at the state legislature, and, and the legislative session has actually officially ended today, if I'm correct. That is correct. Yeah, we were stuck in this kind of Groundhog Day situation where every day we woke up and the session just kept going. So luckily today, uh, the hospital tax uh, uh, fix was finally approved by the House. Uh, and they adjourned. They came in, did a nice quick session, uh, not a lot of discussion, and they adjourned finally today after this uh, long and, and very challenging session for us. And Brian, you're our legislative and, and political coordinator. Zach is our legislative and political advocate. What's your take on what happened today and the events leading up to this rather long, uh, historically long legislative session? Well, I've been working up the state capitol for 37 years, and I've never seen a session go this long. And this was really unusual. It, um, it is a crazy dynamic up there because the political parties are almost tied in control. And it's it's very rare where you have an 1818 Senate. I think the last time that happened was the late 1800s. And it makes everything difficult, everything a compromise. I, I would say uh, one of the most challenging things is that while on paper uh, the Democratic Party should be in charge, there's actually an operating conservative majority that really puts the conservatives, and, and frankly, uh, CBIA, the Connecticut Business Industry Association, uh, largely in charge of what happens at the Capitol. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, we saw we saw that play out uh, during these last few months, especially uh, not just with the budget, but on the first day where we saw a tax on, on state employees having their contracts approved to uh, in February when we had a big uh, public hearing in the Labor Committee where there were bills that uh, tried to raise prevailing wage for construction workers, take away the rights of state employees and municipal employees to bargain over pension and health care, uh, move employees into 401ks, and just a variety of really bad bills uh, that we were able to organize, not once but twice, because also in the Appropriations Committee, we saw about 90 anti-union bills in one day. And uh, for both of these, our members really stepped up, and union members across the state, both public and private sector, uh, and really made their voices heard. We had a lot of uh, green shirts in the LOB and both of those days. And that kind of attack, you know, is, is going to be the norm uh, with this new corporate conservative majority. Brian, one of the things that I found to be troubling in this new dynamic over at the state legislature is that uh, the session began on the note of a five plus, a $5 billion plus operating deficit. And yet 
so many legislators and then outside, uh, as you say, outside kind of wealthy and corporate special interest groups, uh, I've never heard such a litany of blame laid at the feet of public employees. So, and yet state employees stepped up to the plate with a $1.5 billion concession package that it was a struggle to get legislators to approve that. Um, so I, I've never seen anything like it in my life where you have a groups of workers uh, willing to pay part of the solution and to sacrifice when nobody else was being asked to sacrifice. It, it is stunning, Larry. You're right on target. Um, <clears throat> Public employees become the whipping boy, as of unions in general, including for private workers up there. And uh, one of the biggest problems this country faces is decline of the middle class. Uh, the U.S. Census found in 2013 that 50% of all American families are working poor or less in economic status. Uh, yet the legislature, the conservatives of both parties in the legislature seem totally tone deaf to this. They don't seem to have any recognition of the fact that the average family is sliding in economic ability. It's uh, something that's damaging the consumption-based economy, which is what really made America a powerhouse. Um, that consumption-based economy took us largely from poverty in the 1930s to, to having the world's greatest buying power of the middle class in the 1970s. I feel like we're um, sort of seeing back to the future. And as the problem seems to get worse, legislators uh, seem to get more and more tone deaf to the uh, struggles of the average family. I never understand how it makes sense to take money out of the pockets of working class people. I've never seen that be a functional and smart solution uh, to any economic struggle. And yet, too much of the discussion at the Capitol seemed to be, how can we reach into the pockets, not just of, of union members, but uh, the, the earned income tax credit that helps the working poor uh, was reduced. So more money was taken out of the pockets of the working poor. Uh, but so I, I found it quite alarming to see the, the level and the tone of the, of the debate that went on. But you both did a fantastic job pushing back against that. And uh, do you want to comment a little bit on some of the achievements and some of the fights that you did have that... Yeah, I think that a, a lot of our a lot of our achievements, unfortunately, are stopping uh, uh, stopping the attacks. You know, we we did uh, go in with the legislative agenda. Um, some got through, some didn't. Um, but mostly, you know, we, it was fighting back against these proposals that would have eliminated not just uh, uh, state employees but municipal employees' ability to negotiate over their pension and health care. Um, you know, putting putting new employees in MERS and also new new state employees into four hundred one ks, which we know uh, do nothing but make the liability problem significantly worse. Um, so the these solutions don't seem to be ones. Um, that are meant to fix this kind of deficit that we're in and, and, and fix uh, some of the issues that we're in as much as it is to just punish uh, state employees and municipal employees and public employees across the board. And one of the things you brought up, Larry, which is a good point, is that uh, it's not just an attack on union employees and it's an attack on non-union employees, on working families that don't have uh, the benefit of, of being represented with the cuts to the EITC. And we see, you know, in states across the country that are right to work. Uh, that this is a very intentional because the average wage in right-to-work states is about $5,000 less uh, than free bargaining states like Connecticut. And all that does is drive down economies across the country and right-to-work. I mean, there's a reason why 
Uh, you know, they look at states like Kansas, which has done nothing but cut taxes, cut wages, cut everything they can, and they're in this kind of downward spiral that they can't get out of. And, and you know, hopefully we'll keep pushing in our allies up there, and we'll, we'll continue to keep pushing, and we need members to help us push, uh, most importantly, to make sure that we push back on this and fight back and, and prevent this kind of economic, uh, uh, these failed economic policies from coming to Connecticut. Brian, can you talk a little bit uh, an area, in an area that you've had a lot of expertise and you've done a lot of advocacy and fighting, and that is the area of pensions and retirement security, and maybe talk a little bit about what happened at the Capitol this year and, again, some of the myths that, that, that we have to and we're going to have to keep busting. Yeah, Larry. Uh, Zach and I did a lot of work trying to protect public employee pensions, but not just public employee pensions, the whole concept of pensions. Uh, it's outrageous that America went from a country where most workers had pensions over the last 30 years to a country where pensions have largely disappeared. And it hasn't happened by accident. Uh, there's a great book called The Retirement Heist by a Wall Street Journal reporter named Ellen Schultz that every American should take a look at. And what it details is how corporate America basically swindled its workers out of pensions under the false argument that the pensions were losing money. Most of the private sector pensions that got swindled were pensions that were extremely well-funded. They were heavily government-regulated, so they were funded at 100% or 110%. And what happened is when, when those private sector corporations like General Electric stole their workers' pensions, the corporate executives were able to reap a gigantic profit. And I think what's happened today is because public employees are largely unionized, they've been able to hang on to pensions. So they're the nail sticking up. And corporate America realizes that one of these days, those private sector workers are going to wake up to the fact that if public employees have pensions, then they could too. If you look at our, Zach and I have pointed out to legislators, if you look at any of our peer countries, France, Germany, Canada, the Netherlands, England, Ireland, all those countries have pensions for every one of their workers. And uh, it, it's outrageous that we don't have that. The 401k experiment has failed. And we're going to go much more in depth in future podcasts of Council 4 Unplugged because uh, this is something that needs to be talked about repeatedly in great detail and with facts, um, not falsehoods, um, not distortions. And, and there are far too many distortions on the uh, pension and retirement security front. So Council 4 Unplugged is, is our podcast, and you can be rest, rest assured we're going to be talking much more about it. I want to shift, though, uh, in the time we have left to some positive developments, and that occurred, and many of them occurred last Tuesday, November 7th, during the municipal elections, as well as in uh, state elections uh, around the country. And uh, Zach, why don't you lead it off and Brian jump in, because uh, again, Council 4 and under your, with you, you both of you at the helm, uh, we saw a lot of positive developments in local municipal elections that may set the stage for something in 2018. So Zach, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys uh, agree, but it was very nice to wake up on a Wednesday after an election and uh, actually feel a little bit of hope and a little bit of positive energy, uh, considering all the attacks we've seen after last year against uh, not just on a state level, but on a national level. And I think at the municipal level where, you know, all politics is local, where we're able to see uh, cities like Bristol, where uh, we were able to work very hard and our brothers and sisters over in AFT were also very uh, 
working very hard, very dedicated, uh, and able to get a new mayor elected, as well as a lot of good working families, candidates, and people that will support uh, unions, but also non-union working uh, families people. Uh, in Manchester, we saw a clean sweep. I mean, Brian, you saw in your district that you work with a lot, uh, a lot of surprising wins, including, you know, things like Southington, Farmington, uh, where where we saw a switch that we've never really seen before um, in a long time. And Brian, I wanted you to kind of break it down, because I, I do believe that these lo local elections uh, may give us some positive indicators for 2018 at the state and, and federal level. Can you talk a little bit about the towns of Manchester and Wyndham and what happened there with our endorsed candidates and, and how labor-backed candidates did do well in those communities? Sure, Larry. Uh, in Manchester, there was were unprecedented high numbers. Uh, it, it's a town that it is a, a good working-class town. It's right in the middle of the middle class. It experiences some of the struggles of, of a town with a, a declining middle class. And uh, I think people came through and realized that a lot of the candidates, we endorsed many of the candidates in Manchester, um, were looking out for their best interests, looking out for their children's best interests, and trying to keep a decent education budget, uh, trying to keep decent services, keep the roads uh, plowed and paved and, and ready for commerce to move on. Those are the things that add to a strong tax base. The average family's biggest investment is in their house. And if their town is not educating children and taking care of basic infrastructure, then those families are going to lose financially on the value of their home. I think Manchester is a good example of a, a, a town council that's done the right things and was rewarded uh, by the voters with a big vote of confidence on Election Day. In Wyndham, another town that's had great challenges, uh, we saw a very close race between four candidates for mayor. The candidate who won, Victor Funderburg, is a, a union president, a retired public school teacher who's got a lot of vision. Victor actually opened a theater downtown in Wyndham that has survived the test of time. It's been operating quite well for the last 10 years. It provides community theater. It's got a permanent base. Uh, someone with Victor's vision uh, for economic development and developing Wyndham as an entertainment, the Willimantic section as an entertainment district, is exactly what's needed these days. And again, I think the voters recognize the hard work that uh, Victor Funderburg put in and rewarded him, Rose Ray's, uh, another union-backed candidate with the Working Families Party, was able to supplant uh, more conservative candidates and uh, is the first Working Families Party candidate in Wyndham in about 20 years. And uh, she's going to do a great job for folks out there. And I'm, I'm going to jump in, too, and um, say that one thing that makes us proud, and, and I hope our listeners out there understand that part of the way we change things for the better uh, is by having 
regular working class people run for public office. And um, I'm certainly proud to report in Manchester, Jay Moran, a member of AFSCME Local 2836, is the mayor. In Vernon, we have Jim Tedford of 14, AFSCME Local 1471 on the town council. In West Haven, we have Dave Forsyth from our AFSCME Local 714 unit. New Britain, we have a union retiree, uh, Dan Salerno, sitting on the city council. And in New Haven, we have a Local 269 member, Evelyn Rodriguez, uh, on the board of Alders, and I think that's uh, among many other union members uh, around the state holding seats. And quite honestly, I, I can't see the dialogue in the direction changing until we get more people who think and act and uh, on, on behalf of, of working people getting elected and pushing for the policies that will help people move forward and, and get to the middle class and stay there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that when we look at not only just what we saw in the municipal elections in, in Connecticut, uh, but also some of the state elections across the country is that um, over the last year, we've seen a very anti-worker, uh, very divisive kind of politics start to form where it's, you know, not just person against person, but it's worker against worker. It's, it's you know, the coal miner against uh, uh, the public works driver. It's trying to fight over these limited resources. And I, I think that what we saw, uh, not just in Connecticut, but, but across the country was people standing up and, and, you know, starting the first kind of pushback and fight back against that kind of politics and moving us towards hopefully a more uh, economically friendly and health and uh, societal friendliness to workers. I mean, when we look at things like the, the budget up, up at the uh, federal level right now, that's going to cut health insurance. Well, that'll affect union and non-union members. You know, these are the kind of things that at the local level, looking ahead for 2018 and beyond, are, are very positive steps, very encouraging steps. And Brian, you're going to get the last word before we take it out. What do you think last week's municipal elections uh, mean for 2018? I think it bodes well for 2018. A lot of pro-worker municipal candidates were elected, and we faced some really daunting charges, challenges. We talked about the problem with pensions. There are um, a, a couple of things that are, are happening uh, with retirement security. Uh, our union helped push a bill to start a retirement security program for the workers who get ripped off. Workers whose employers provide them with absolutely no ability to save for retirement. Uh, our union pushed a plan that became law, and it, it's not been fully instituted yet, called the Connecticut Retirement Security Authority. And what this would be is a super efficient uh, 401k for workers who uh, do not get offered a 401k opportunity through their workplace. Any worker who's trying to save through the stock market is at a great disadvantage. 401ks are full currently of hidden fees that eat up to 25% of the lifetime yield of a 401k. That's why when the average worker retires today on a 401k, they retire with total savings of $50,000 or less. You can't even starve well on $50,000. Uh, a pension would be preferable, but a good step is to start uh, getting the Retirement Security Authority off the ground. Sadly, uh, the Retirement Security Authority has been attacked at every opportunity by CBIA, by the corporate conservatives, who seem just bent on having, uh, for some reason, I guess, a, a constantly lower wage workforce. 
um, and, and an, an older uh, workforce that, that is denying people the opportunity to have a chance to do their life's work at the end of their life, which was always the goal of uh, sort of Western civilized society. Uh, another great opportunity that's coming up is paid family and medical leave. Uh, Zach and I have worked on that with lots of other unions and particularly great organizations like the Connecticut Women's Education and Legal Fund to try to come up with a paid family leave policy. The U.S. is one of the only countries in the world, I think it's uh, the U.S. and New Guinea, that have no paid family leave. So the women who give birth uh, wind up returning within 10 days to their jobs because their families uh, don't have the ability to have them take the, the six months, eight months, a year that our peer countries provide for the bonding to occur between the mother and father and the baby. And um, that both of those issues, I think, will be very much alive for the 2018 session. Uh, very, very illuminating, and I thank you both, Zach Levy and, and Brian Anderson, our, our intrepid counsel for legislative and, and political advocates. We're lucky to have you guys. Uh, that concludes our first ever edition of Council for Unplugged, the podcast of Council for AFSME. You're going to hear a lot more from us. I'm Larry Dorman, and we at Council for wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Please enjoy the time with your family and friends, and be sure to carve out that quality family time, pun fully intended. And don't forget, you can check us out on the web at council4.org, on Facebook at council 4 AFSME, that's A-F-S-C-M-E, and on Twitter at AFSCME CT4. Thanks again, and we'll catch you soon. 